Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens, and I'm K.A. Owens, and we are broadcasting from the top of the Hayburn Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is 106.5 FM Forward Radio, and if you go to forwardradio.org, Uh, Go to that website. You can find out more about our station. And also, you can click on a button. We are live streaming, and you can listen to us uh, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. Folks, uh, we've got uh, Kyle Ellison here with us today. Welcome to our show, Kyle. Thank you. Thank you very much, K.A. Kyle Ellison is one of the most knowledgeable people that there is in the state of Kentucky on prisons, and prison reform. So, Kyle, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, uh, well, that's a very nice introduction. I hate to say I know the most, but I do know uh, an overview of particularly the history. Uh, I, I, I'm in my mid-70s, and uh, I really didn't get interested in political things until I was uh, forced to be in uh, the military during the Vietnam War. And uh, this actually did a lot for my attitude and made me a sort of a lifetime activist after that. Uh, when I came home from uh, uh, participating in the war, uh, I got a job as a probation and parole officer in Louisville. This was 1972. Uh, and I, I, so I... I uh, I was really thrilled to have a job where I could help people, and I and I had a caseload that was manageable. At that time, the state had about three thousand inmates, and maybe only six thousand people on probation and parole. Um, so that it was really a time of uh, where belief in community corrections treatment was strong. There were quite a few minimum security camps. There was a very progressive commissioner, Chuck Chuck Holmes, uh, and there was a lot of emphasis on community treatment and a a real emphasis on probation and parole. Uh, And so that is when I came in, and it was possible then to do casework. And so I I set about doing that, and I did, I I worked within that job and to, uh, for nine years altogether. And and so at the end of that nine years, it was 1981, I started to burn out on casework. Uh, the other thing that happened is that the caseload started to increase and it was became more and more difficult to do uh, actual treatment work. It was more about the numbers. Uh, but in 1981, I transferred and got a job as a personnel trainer for the state prison system as a whole, which also meant which meant that I also trained jail personnel all over the state. So I had access to all the prisons and all the jails all over the state, and uh, I, that was a great place to watch what was going on. Uh, and so um, during that time, I became interested in the history of the state prisons and started to do research about that. And so for the for six of the seven years that I w- was a personnel trainer, I researched the prison history of Kentucky. And so that uh, uh, really got me interested in, in what was going on, particularly 
the things that I could see that, it, that were happening again that had happened in the past. Uh, and we can talk about some of those trends as we go along. So at any rate, in 1988, uh, I quit the prison system and went on to do other things. Uh, and then I got much more engaged again around uh, uh, 2017 when it was announced that the state was going to return to using a private prison in Lee County. And uh, this really aggravated me, and uh, I, I got active again. And ever since then, I've been researching more, and, uh, and, I'm, re and I'm retired, so I have time. So this is, um, you know, it's almost some people follow sports, uh, and uh, I follow prisons. So, Kyle, the prison system has changed. I mean, uh, when the first Governor Bashir, Steve Bashir, talked about sort of the massive increase in the prison population, and he said then, I'm more or less quoting him, he said, there aren't that many more bad people in the state of Kentucky. So talk so talk to us about how the prison system has changed, particularly in the numbers of people that are in and programs yes. and the attitude toward prisoners. Yes. Well, well let, me, let me go back uh, uh, very briefly. Let me go clear back to the Civil War uh, because the, the way that the, pr the prison population grows and the, and the responses of the state government to it really aren't that much different than they were 150 years ago. Uh, after the Civil War, the state prison population increased like crazy. Uh, I mean, it, it just increased like five, six times in a very short period of time. And, and by 1879, uh, more than 50% of the inmate population was black. Uh, and, and there was great emphasis then on, on getting people out of prison. And so governors pardoned a lot of people during that time. Uh, and the legislature even asked the governor to pardon people so that they wouldn't have to try to find the money to build another prison. This was right after the Civil War, of course. So people got really interested in pardoning people when the population was too high. Um, things got really out of control. I'm going to skip over about 50 years here. Things got really out of control again in the late mid-20s to the mid-1930s. Uh, when the prison population increased uh, quite a bit. And, uh, and it's interesting to note that in the mid-1920s, the governor requested that the legislature create an office of the commissioner of pardons. And so the legislature actually funded this for about five years, and, and that's how they tried to control the prison population. Uh, it was really only in the mid-30s and during the Depression where the prison population got really out of control even more than it ever had been, and, and people got interested in probation and parole then, uh, and they started to uh, emphasize that, uh, and particularly under Governor Happy Chandler. He was, he didn't, Happy Chandler didn't pardon anybody, but he was a strong believer in probation and parole. So at the end of the 1930s, there were about 4,000 inmates in Kentucky. By 1970, this number was less than 3,000. And so you don't think, you know, people don't have any idea that, that the prison population goes anywhere but up. Uh, but it went down uh, 
more than 25% during that period of time. So in, in the 1970s, when I came to work, uh, things were better than they had been. Uh, and, uh, but in the, in the 1980s, the state prison population doubled. And in the 1990s, it almost doubled again. And so this was an this this particular period here was when things really got out of control, uh, and um, it's primarily due to the length of sentences and and the overuse of the persistent felony offender statutes. So so things were, things were um, you know just zooming up and up and up and during this period of time the state particularly in the mid 1980s the state started to contract with private prisons the other thing that happened in the mid 1980s is because when things were getting out of control is they started to put state inmates into county jails and uh, this is a this was a very important trend so during the 1980s and 90s and up to 2005, the state built at least five new prisons and enlarged some others. And then they put, um, by 2005, there were 5,000 inmates that had state time that were serving that time in county jails. So the state started to use, the state built five prisons the state filled those prisons. The state put 5,000 inmates. This is by 2000, between 1980 and 2005. The state put 5,000 inmates into the county jails, and they contracted with private prisons, um, with three, three private prisons. And so that's, that uh, is uh, pretty much where things got out of control more than they ever had before. So now we've got, uh, I remember uh, uh, we started, well, Angela Davis, as I recall, started using the term prison, in, prison industrial complex. Angela Davis, uh, I believe it was in 98, 1998, when I first heard that uh, expression. Yes. Uh, I... I uh I know exactly what you're talking about there. Uh, I mean, basically, that's where private interests drive public policy. Uh, and so uh, this is, of course, happening with the, uh, with the state prison system. Uh, it's, um, it's easy to see this when you think about privatization today. Um, there is... Uh, uh, um, uh, let me see. The best way to describe this is to say that the county jails are functioning in the same way that a private prison might. So that the county jails in Kentucky have become a hybrid. Uh, they aren't really privately owned, but they are functioning that way. So the state today has uh, 18,000 some odd inmates uh, and about 47% of those inmates are in county jail serving time. Uh, and, and the county jails get paid so much per day per inmate. 
So it, it does, in fact, pay the county to have more state inmates. Uh, and uh, But the inmates that really pay well are the federal inmates. Uh, those inmates pay between 50 and $70 a day apiece, which is about double what the state pays. Uh, and so there is a lot of interest on the parts of prisons to have, state, to have federal inmates. And there are about 12 or 14 of those county jails that have those inmates. Uh, so there's a lot of incentive there to uh, have inmates in your jail that are being paid for by state or federal authorities. Uh, and so commensurate with the rise in the jail, in, in the prison population that I described, the jail, you know, and I, and I also mentioned that the, the prisons had not built any new state prisons since 2005. But during all those years uh, since then, and, and even before, the county jails have expanded greatly. So now we have more beds in the county jail system than we do in the state prison system. So there are maybe uh, roughly 23,000 beds in the county jails and maybe only 12,000 uh, beds in the uh, state prisons. Th these are rough figures. Um, and so the county jails is really the tail that is wagging the dog. Uh, and so they have an incentive to overcrowd their jails, and they do. Uh, the other part of the privatization is, is, is the use of private prisons themselves that are owned by corporations. Um, we have uh, one prison in Kentucky now that is owned by Core Civic, which used to be Corrections Corporation of America, and that is in Lee County near Beattyville. It's called the Lee County Adjustment Center, and there are maybe 800 some odd inmates there. And that is owned and staffed by Corrections Corporation of America. Uh, and so the bottom, they have to agree in their contract to house the inmates at a 10% reduction of what it would cost the state to house the inmates. And this sounds really good if you're just talking about numbers at the legislature, but in reality, it doesn't really work. Uh, the problem with it is, is that if you can pick and choose the inmates that you want, you can definitely make money in the private prison industry. So uh, the the inmates that are elderly or have mental health needs or maybe they have behavior issues, uh, those inmates aren't going out there to the private prisons. Uh, those inmates are going to be kept by the state. And so, uh, so, so, that, so we have privatization in its pure form. Uh, but private, private prisons, Core Civic, and also the jailers the County Jailers Association have lobbyists, and they lobby the legislature in Frankfurt for their interests, um, whereas the public just sort of sleeps through everything and isn't really paying enough attention. Uh, the, the main, this might become a sort of a surprise, but the main competitor to 
private prisons in Kentucky. The main reason that we don't have more is because of the County Jail Association. The Jailers Association is really opposed to more private prisons. And they've got a lot of influence. Um, so so the, the system tends to feed on itself. It, it watches out for its own interests. It makes money by having inmates. And it can create, it can help the legislature, legislators uh, who do that uh, stay in office by contributing money to their campaigns and lobbying them in Frankfurt. So um, uh, this is, uh, you know, this is not unusual that private corporations would, would send lobbyists. Uh, people expect that, but people don't really expect that the county jails would function in that same way. Uh, but these are very influential people, and uh, they're smart, and uh, 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 mostly they're a bunch of good old white boys, and they uh, know what they're doing politically. You have to get elected to be a jailer in Kentucky, and that means they are part of the big political machine in their county. So a couple things that we've learned uh, in the past 17 minutes and uh, 11 seconds is that prison population rises and falls not necessarily due to crime, but due to political considerations. We learned that. And then we learned that in Kentucky, uh, in Kentucky, the county jails uh, – do profit from prisoners. That is, you have a county where you may not have much industry uh, per se, but you have a jail that can be a profit center uh, for the county, a way to bring income into the county uh, so that the county can provide services to the people. So they'll have a combination of local prisoners that maybe got in a fight at a local bar, and then they'll have state prisoners, and then they'll have federal prisoners all in the county jail, and they get paid the jailer, and the jail gets paid the most from from the federal prisoners. So is that what we learned, Kyle, in the past? Yes. Yes. So, so um, um, you know, like, for example, you wouldn't really expect this, but, but take Laurel County for an example. Laurel County has a jail... It has 664 beds. They have 413 federal inmates in there. Uh, that is a real moneymaker for that county. Oldham County has 330 beds, and they have 155 federal prisoners. Uh, and so uh, other some other counties have got, like Grayson County, has got uh, 289 federal inmates, or maybe almost 300 federal inmates. So, whereas Jefferson Jefferson County here in Louisville, they have almost no federal inmates. Because unfortunately, we keep our jails filled mostly with local with local people, and do we have some state people in there as well? Uh, not nearly as bad in in uh, Jefferson County. Um, the Jefferson County Jail, in fact, during the past year with the COVID, has dropped its population from almost 1,800 down to 1,280, which is 29% drop. Uh, and that is the best, uh, the lowest it's been for quite a while. 
down there at the jail. Um, and that that indicates to me that they just really didn't need to have that many people in there to begin with. Um, but uh, things aren't quite as bad about trying to make money off the state and federal inmates in, in the bigger cities. Like Jefferson County does not elect a jailer. There is a professional person appointed there, and the same in Fayette County, Lexington. And perhaps in Northern Kentucky too. I'm not sure. Um, so the big jails don't necessarily function in the same way that the county county jails do. Um, so Kyle, I, yes. So Kyle, uh, we've got about uh, a little bit less than ten minutes left. So tell us where we need to go with our prison systems. What what do we need to do? first thing that we need is for the public to be become aware of what is going on. Uh, out of sight, out of mind is the general gist of what the way prisons think, you know, people, the public thinks of the prisons. Uh, and, and in fact, out of sight, out of mind is where the prisons are. Um, I think the most concerning thing is that if from 2008 up until 2018, Kentucky's prison population gained 10% overall. Uh, and that mean, means that Kentucky was one of only five states that gained 10% during that time period. See from, see, from around the 70s to the 80s and into the 90s, the, the crime rate did in fact increase. But then after that, it started to decline but Kentucky's sentencing didn't did not decline. Uh, we we increased ten percent, and during that same time, there were states, other states, at least a dozen of them, that decreased their overall prison population by ten percent. Uh, and so, Kentucky now has the highest per capita incarceration rate which means the number of inmates per 100,000 of the population. We have the highest per capita incarceration rate of all the states that surround us. Kentucky is in the worst top 10 states in the United States. Uh, the next lowest state below us is Alabama. And the other, some of the other states in this group are Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, Texas, Oklahoma. I really hate to be in that group, but we are in that group, and and uh, harsh sentencing laws remain in place. And so, what's happened overall is that is that the reason for the increase is not just the, the money. There is also the fact that being tough on crime is a very easy way to get elected. If you can say you're tough on crime, you can get elected. People don't really talk about what this is going to cost the taxpayer. It's it's just let's get tough on crime. So during the 1980s and the 1990s, Kentucky added uh, scores of laws that increased the sentencing. And so Kentucky's sentences right now are longer than they've ever been before. This is what the public needs to pay attention to more than anything else, I think. Uh, Sentences are now, the average sentence in Kentucky is now 14 years. Uh, in the mid-1960s, 
and it also in the 30s, 60 or 70 percent of the inmates had a sentence of five years or less. And now it is only like 22 or 3 percent of the inmates have a sentence of five years or less. So the overall sentencing has just gotten way out of control through the misuse of the persistent felony offender statute and the fact that politicians can get elected by passing laws that pander to getting people more and more time to serve. Uh, and so this, this, is, this is what is not discussed uh, in Frankfurt. Um, there is um, uh, a, a jail and prison task, uh, jail and corrections task form legislative group uh, that has met like five times since this past summer. And they talk about lots of issues, um, you know, things like uh, telephone charges to the jail. And uh, I, that's another example of privatization or the, the jail industrial complex I didn't really talk about. But, but uh, at any rate, the sentencing is, is just much, much longer than it's ever been. And that is a significant improvement. It is not just that that Governor Bevan or, or, or Governor Bashir or Governor Patton or whoever is pardoning people. It's that the, it, it, that's just those are acts of desperation uh, on the part of the governor in many cases. Uh, uh, and um, so we need to overall, we need to have less few, uh, shorter sentences. That is what I, I would like people to take away from this today, is, is to pay attention to the sentencing. And that is was not discussed whatsoever in any of the jail and prison task reform. Uh, uh, what was discussed is that it's cheaper to keep inmates in the county jail than anywhere else. And that is the incentive for the state. Uh, the state gets to keep inmates cheaper if they put them in the county jails and the counties get to make a certain amount of money off having those inmates. And so everybody gets to win except the inmates and the taxpayer. Uh, one more thing I might say about the 47% of the state inmates, which is eight, more than 8,000, between eight and 9,000, uh, is that there's not there are not very many opportunities for real treatment programs in those jails. Uh, and a lot of these jails are, in fact, overcrowded. Uh, 28 of the state's uh, 76 jails are at one, at least one-third, uh, or about one-third of the county jails are 10% or over, over capacity right now. This is at the end, even though that COVID virus has overall reduced the county jail population uh, by about 20% over the past year, there are still uh, 28 jails that are at least 10% overpopulated, and about five of those, five or six of those are 150% or more. This means that you have inmates sleeping in day rooms, and and, and, and this is uh, this is really uh, gives people come out of those jails of PTSD. And so uh, what could possibly be the reason that some of these jails, like particularly, say, Madison County and Richmond or Bell County, uh, uh, why would they remain so crowded? 
I, I am concerned uh, about that. Uh, I'm concerned that uh, we will see increasingly harsh sentences, uh, and I'm concerned that we will be uh, out of control with the prison population again. Uh, right now, we're in a lull. In fact, the state prison population has dropped almost 20% during the past year because of the virus. Um, and I hope that it can stay that way. Uh, but I am anticipating that with, the, with uh, so many people uh, being whose lives have been uprooted by the virus that we, we will, in fact, see an increase in the inmate population. And this time, we might end up having to send inmates to prisons, private prisons out of state. And uh, that is another, that's a whole other subject there. Kyle, uh, Kyle, prisons. yes. Kyle, uh, you've been wonderful, folks. We've been talking to uh, Kyle Ellison, one of the best people to talk about uh, prisons and the history of prisons and where we need to go. So, folks, thank you, Kyle, for being here with us on our show today. You're welcome, K.A. I, I, I know there's a